The ARA acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we have recorded this podcast, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and we pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as Australia's first traders, who utilise a sophisticated network of trading paths that have facilitated the exchange of goods, knowledge and culture for millennia. Hi, I'm Paul Zara, CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, and welcome to Season 2 of Retail Therapy, a podcast proudly brought to you by American Express. The ARA is Australia's oldest, largest and most diverse retail body, representing around 7,500 independent, national and international retail members with more than 100,000 shop fronts. Significantly, 95% of our membership is small business, who are our focus for Season 2. Small business is big business. In this season, we'll be getting to know the people behind the small businesses that are the lifeblood of so many of our communities. We'll be chatting to industry leaders who are shaping the small business landscape and learning more about the digital innovations that are driving them to success. Joining me for some retail therapy in the Amex Lounge today is Linda McAllari-Smith, the Victorian Small Business Commissioner. Linda's been in the role since August 2021, supporting Victoria's 644,000 small businesses, helping them resolve disputes as well as providing advice, advocacy and education. Prior to her appointment as Commissioner, Linda worked in the public service at both the state and federal levels, including as the Acting Deputy Fair Work Ombudsman and as an Executive Director at the Victorian Building Authority. I'm delighted to have Linda with me today to talk all things small business. Linda, welcome. Thank you so much, Paul. It's wonderful to be here. Now, you became Victorian Small Business Commissioner in August 2021 at a pretty difficult time for the small business community. The state was going through its sixth lockdown. A lot of business couldn't trade. They were struggling to pay their bills and rent. What are your reflections looking back at that time? Oh, thanks, Paul. Look, it was a, a really important time to step into the role and two things really stood out to me when I started at the time. And, and one, the first one was the intensity of the heartache and distress, financial, of course, but emotionally as well of small businesses, the people who run them and their staff and their families as well. The distress was just palpable. Um, there was such a sense of fatigue as well, particularly here in Victoria, because normally when there are challenges in running your business, there are other aspects of your life that are a great distraction or can bring you joy. But with COVID, it affected every inch of everyone's life. So not just as a business owner, but as as humans as well, living and as parents, as worried about family and friends and for, for your own health and safety as well. Um, what, what also really stood out to me when I joined as well was it's really clear how much all the small business advisors, so their accountants, their bookkeepers, mm. their lawyers, the industry associations and local chambers really had their backs, um, more so than I've ever probably probably seen the past and we're really doggedly looking for every opportunity to help relieve some of the pressure that was small businesses were suffering. So that commitment right across the board to helping small businesses was something that really stood out yes. for me as well. So sadly, we did see many small businesses shut up shop permanently. What are the lessons learned? Are there things that could have been done 
that weren't to keep businesses afloat during the worst of the lockdowns and restrictions, do you think? Uh, there were certainly some challenges, Paul, I think, with the timing of the announcements, particularly in some of the earlier days regarding some of the trading restrictions and lockdowns as well that, that really impacted small businesses. Not, not that larger businesses weren't also impacted, but small businesses probably felt more acutely, and particularly those with perishable goods from florists through to cafes and restaurants. And the circuit breaker lockdown here in Victoria just before Valentine's Day stands out as one example that was, was particularly hard. And I observed that sort of improving the lines of communication directly from industry into government over the course, as everyone's been learning, has improved as time's gone on. But yes. but there's no question that the shorter the advance notice of changes, the harder it was for small businesses to respond and, and prepare. Yeah, you're not wrong there. And I think, you know, you, you have talked about this. You've received lots of calls from small businesses each day reaching out for help. What What are the key things they're coming to you about and what are you doing to assist? The majority of inquiries coming through to the Small Business Commission here in Victoria at the moment relate to commercial rent relief. So there is a formal scheme in place at the moment, Commercial Tenancy Relief Scheme. And since the commencement of the pandemic, we've helped over 25,000 small businesses in relation to calls about how to organise rent relief, either from the tenant perspective or the landlord as well. Um, We're hearing directly from small businesses themselves, but, but also from their advisors, such as lawyers, accountants and bookkeepers wanting to help their small businesses. And for some of the small businesses who are really suffering, what we're hearing from their advisors is they're even not engaging with their advisors. So their advisors are desperately wanting to help them. So what we're really trying to do is work with the small businesses to keep those open lines of communication going. Um, You know, in relation to the commercial tenancy space, which obviously impacts a lot of our retailers here in Victoria, some of the common questions go to eligibility and how to calculate turnover and and what to do when a landlord won't cooperate. Uh, The the scheme is pretty complex. So there's the team here at the Commission's put a lot of effort into trying to break that down into the complex regulations into clear and accessible information that businesses can understand. And and remembering, of course, that some of our landlords here who are providing relief under the scheme are small businesses themselves. So we're, at the moment, we're providing free mediation under the scheme. So, um, and we're also looking at, we're also currently providing free mediation for even those who aren't available to access the scheme. So if there's a small business out there or a landlord that's having a dispute with a small business relating to commercial rent that's been impacted by COVID, we can help for free. Um, and we've got a wonderful group of accredited mediators who are, Paul, they're really good as circuit breakers. Right. And, and that's something we see in the dispute space often is that it needs sometimes emotions are higher um you know people are more fatigued as i said and the normal business disputes that we deal with haven't gone away either um and what we're sort of seeing in the covid world is the intensity has been amplified just because everyone's so exhausted and emotions are so stretched so some of the common issues that retailers would deal with like invoices not being paid or not getting what you pay for yourself or poor quality of service or you might have got from a supplier what we're doing what we're seeing at the moment is small businesses just sort of struggling to be able to navigate those issues probably more so than normal and it's wonderful we're starting to 
open up again here in Victoria. Yes. And um, th there's also some conflict that comes from the good stuff too. So we're currently assisting some small businesses and also their councils navigating some disputes about adjacent businesses who are, who are um, having some issues over footpath trading. Um, so we're trying to get in early to try and help those with those disputes as well. Right. You, I mean, Commissioner, you sit really quite quite although leasing's the biggest issue, I guess you sit across many, many issues. When when do you where's a cutoff point for small business? What volume sales do you sort of no longer become a small business? Look, it's a, it's a really interesting question, Paul, because one of the things that I know drives small business mad is that there's no common definition of small businesses yes. across all the different aspects of legislation. Sort of for the commercial tenancy relief scheme, the the, the threshold is um, is $50 million. Yes. So this commercial tenancy relief scheme is, um, is designed, you know, precisely include medium-sized businesses as well. So generally speaking, you'll, you'll get some rules of thumb in relation to small businesses and it can be sometimes 20 employees up to sort of 50 or $2 million sort of turnover up to five. Right. It sort of varies between particular issues. But for the commercial tenancy relief scheme, if you're earning, if your turnover is under $50 million a year, you're considered to be, um, meet one of the thresholds for the scheme. And in order to be eligible for the scheme too, you need to have experienced a 30% drop in turnover yes. during the relevant period as well. So, so not a huge business but a business that has been severely impacted by COVID. And what about the other issues that you deal with beyond leasing? Is there a, is there a cutoff point there as well? Does it also meet? Not at all. Not at all. We've got a long and proud history of helping small businesses with sort of any disputes that they have really. Right. So um, if there's a small business out there or a big business who's in a dispute with a small business, we can help too as, as long as one of the parties is a small business. Um, people can come to us at any point in time for their assistance. Um, if it's not part of the free scheme that we're providing, it is very low cost. It's $195 generally per party per mediation, which is a lot less obviously than the normal market rate Absolutely. for mediation. So um, we do encourage people to come to us early as possible, though I would say, Paul, sort of the longer a dispute festers, if I can gets, use yes, that language. Understand. Yeah, it's like any relationship, it just gets worse, doesn't it? Not better. Exactly. That's right. It just gets worse over time. So, you know, if businesses are giving it a go and they can't sort it out themselves, don't hesitate to pick up the phone or jump online to our website to see if we can help. And indeed, of the formal applications that we receive, 40% uh, of those we resolve with my team having some phone calls and email conversations with the parties without it even needing to go to mediation. Right. And then ones which are actually go through to formal mediation, over 85% of those resolve at that point. So if someone comes to us, you know, the, the odds are very much in your favour that we'll be able to find a pathway through for Fantastic. You. That's great, Commissioner. And for those listening today, of course, there, whilst we're speaking to Linda from um, Victoria, um, there is a small business or equivalent in each state or territory. So certainly get on the government website and check out what's available to you. Uh, so moving on from that conversation, both our organisations have essentially been dealing with crisis situation over the past two years and trying to navigate businesses through the challenges of COVID and lockdowns. With the worst of the pandemic now behind us, what do you see as the challenges and opportunities that lie ahead for small business? 
I think one of the biggest challenges in the short to medium term, Paul, for small businesses is the accumulated debts that have accrued during COVID. Um, so it's schemes such as the Commercial Tenancy Relief Scheme have been fantastic for businesses who've needed it because they've been able to defer some of their rent. Um, but the reality is that that rent does need to be repaid at some point. And it's the same with other finance. So we, we're dealing with a lot of small businesses who, if, if they're deferring their rent, they're usually deferring other liabilities or they might have needed to take on other loan facilities. Common story that I'm hearing from small business operators is over the course of the pandemic, all their buffers, their financial buffers are gone. Right. So the, the ability, you know, they've taken what super they could take out of their super. They might have maxed out credit cards. They might have taken out new credit cards. And this is all to support the business. Yes. Um, you know, taking money out of the house, out of the home loan, um, loaded up on debt to sort of see their way through. So the big challenge post, as we open up, it's so optimistic and it's really positive, but I really just encourage everyone to be really aware that our small businesses are going to need our support for a very long time and more so now than never because all these businesses will now need to be much more profitable than they've ever been before because they'll be paying back ongoing liabilities yes. that they never had before. Absolutely. So I think that's that's one of the big challenges. Um, but we're seeing, you know, fantastic examples of how committed people are to supporting small businesses. And there's an iconic bar here in Melbourne that was just not able to continue um, and announced in the middle of the year that it was closing. And two other Melbourne venue operators couldn't stand to see their beloved bar close. Mm. So they stepped in and purchased it. And that's, it's due to reopen this week. So it's a wonderful story. And I'm guessing we're going to hear more great. of them as the year progresses to hear how um, small businesses, which, you know, very resilient little operators that come back in some hopefully stronger and better. Um, and it's um, it's hard to, it's disheartening to hear those um, terrible stories of, you know, livelihoods um, being put at risk and also businesses going, um, being absolutely small businesses being decimated, particularly those in the CBD locations, of course, of Melbourne that have been really suffered through the, all of the lockdowns. But um, hopefully we'll see um, these businesses come back in a much more resilient way. How do you think the um, landscape has changed for small business over the years? We know there's a lot of focus now on digital and innovation and the importance of being an omni-channel retailer. How's the landscape different now, do you think, for small business, say, compared to five or ten years ago? I think that the transition that had already been occurring to digital and particularly in that in the retail space as well has just accelerated and been turbocharged, I'd say, in the last couple of years, sort of. And, you know, digital, as we know, it doesn't just mean website, as you've said, it's that whole experience that consumers can, um, can access. And if you can't compete in that space, yes. it's really hard. So, um, and the social channels that people are on, can they can be a lot of work for small businesses yes. as well. So they're fantastic. I'm notorious for the algorithms serving stuff up in my social media that then I purchase um, and then goes on to feed more ideas next time, which is terrible for my wallet, but very good for small businesses. Um, but it's, it's, that's work too for small businesses to keep that up. So, and I think that connection to the consumer and their customers is probably one of the key things that's really different, that that length of relationship as opposed to the sort of transactional. So yes. online reviews, we know carry huge amounts of weight. And here at the Commission, we, you know, we get involved in some of the disputes about um, legitimacy of some of those, if it might be a 
someone thinks it's a fake review from a competitor, that stuff pops up. Um, and also the immediate feedback that comes from customers using digital yes. platforms. Um, and it, it used to be in the old world, you know, when I used to work in retail, it was drummed into me that, you know, every horrible, every customer that has a bad experience goes and tells 10 others. Yes. Um, whereas now that's just magnified by, you know, by huge scales with the impact of social media. And, and I think the expectation of small business too is you know consumers are being much more active and thoughtful in their purchases around a whole range of broader issues and mm. that could be sustainability it could be climate change it could be knowing supply chain like who made these clothes or what were people getting paid when they sold with this sort yes. of coffee so i think small businesses it's really important that to keep up and be competitive in that space um, and to also know that the flip side of that is that they're also being held more accountable by their consumers and, you know, that if you if you do have missteps in that space, it's more likely to be amplified. But it's a, it's a great opportunity for small businesses to showcase what their unique story is yes. so that consumers can really connect with them. And, and we've seen some incredible um, digital campaigns sort of, you know, empty esky and the, you know, support the bush and things like that that came on the back of the bushfire. So yes. I think we're at a really incredible opportunity for small businesses now because they've never been more visible. Everyone's, you know, seen their local cafes or their local shops and wanted to support them through COVID. And, you know, I've seen great stuff in social media about there was a cafe near me that was, um, you know, they were really at there at the end of their tether and they put up a really emotional note on social media saying, look, you know, we've, we've, we've made it through about 18 months, but we're sort of done. We don't have enough money to pay for stuff by the end of the week. And, you know, I went down to get a coffee there and sandwich the next day. And, you know, you had to be careful to socially distance because yes. everyone had just flocked to them to support them. Mm. So I think, I think the opportunity for small businesses, even over the next five to 10 years is how do you keep people caring that you're a small business how do you tell that story really positively so your consumers want to spend their money with the small business operators as well absolutely and look you've touched on some really good points i mean look for a start we'd have a very homogenous world if we didn't have small business because that's they bring the diversity um, and um, uh, differences that the larger retail sometimes can't bring. So it's really important as part of our diverse retail community that we do have, you know, small businesses uh, innovating and creating new um, new things. And, of course, sustainability, as you touched on there, Linda, was, is a really good point with this movement much more because the consumers want to know that they, they understand that the, the supply chain is transparent and they're not buying something that's um, that's actually harmed the earth in some way or people for that matter. So they're all really good points that you you mentioned. And often, you know, the major retailers often get the spotlight for the innovations they're doing. But, you know, there are lots of innovations in particular from small business. And I'm just wondering if there's anything in particular that stands out that's, that's, that's impressed you. Oh, it's such a good point. And indeed, Paul, most big businesses started out as a tiny, tiny business once upon a time as well. So I think it's such a good story as well to think about even for our businesses to be aspirational sort of as well. So I think there were some really great examples that I saw even around my own neighbourhood, um, you know, removed all the excuses not to exercise, unfortunately, but my my local gym was doing all their online classes and, you know, you saw real estate agents doing video tours 
stores, you know, you had cafes doing cool stuff where you could do click and collect through ordering it online. Yes. And I, I'm not the, I don't cook in my house. That all credit to that goes to my husband. Oh. He and the children You're very happy well with that arrangement. Well I do, I do, I do, and um, and no one's no one's encouraging me into the kitchen. But um, I, that I, I did actually brave some online cooking courses and um. I never would have done that before and my kids also participated in some online birthday parties for their mates and and even we we even schooled at a magician's show so I think they're the kinds of experiences you probably wouldn't have dreamt up years ago and as consumers you would have thought oh that's not really my cup of tea necessarily but you know there was just that kind of innovation that came through and yes. you know you know providor is another example of a yes, platform a where you could you know do finish the home which was the kind of stuff i could safely cook you know <laughs> with some of that sort of finishing stuff and yeah and just the way some of the stores too um you know there were many examples as well where you know restaurants went to serving groceries and providing groceries or um, businesses sort of combined together as well. So I think that kind of, that innovation was fantastic. You know, when when businesses are presented with a challenge, I think think our entrepreneurial spirit is our superpower as a country. And I I think that opportunity for businesses to go, well, there's a massive boulder in my way. Um, How will I find a way around it? And, you know, how do we encourage that innovation? But hopefully in a more positive, optimistic sense, leading into Christmas, Paul, rather than sort of from the doom and gloom of the last couple of years as well. Well, it's interesting because you've you've made me think because, in fact, a lot of the uh, innovations that I've seen that have come from small businesses have been quite exciting. In those cafe restaurant examples, are really good ones. What I'm hoping is that we don't small businesses don't walk away from those and think they were just a COVID thing. That they keep yeah. those options up because there's many there's many of us that want to be able to you know order online and just collect the. Um, the restaurant item and, sh- and and eat at home. It's no different, I guess, to merchandise that we buy with click and collect. So I'm hoping that a lot of these services that were driven for COVID don't uh, disappear purely because we can go back now to physical because not everybody wants, to, you know, there's been lots of learnings. And in fact, some people have enjoyed that um, that uh, that time and those options, I guess. So let's um, hope that these, uh, it inspires uh, small business operators to continue with that innovation. Absolutely. And there was one restaurant owner I was talking to who in between the lockdowns here in Victoria, they had been doing the, you know, the click and collect, you know, that you prepare most of it in the restaurant, you finish it off at home. And when he actually opened up again, he kept doing that because yes. what he'd found was that he'd opened him up to new customers. And Absolutely. maybe it was people who couldn't be bothered to go out or they had kids or they're just too tired or they just wanted that intimacy at home. That So he was actually able to expand out his business as opposed to contractors. So those kind of stories. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, they're new, new channels, new new opportunities to get new customers. Absolutely, um, well raised there. Now, a lot has made has been made about the Melbourne CBD, and, and f- does face a long road to recovery. The working from home trend means that there aren't the usual people out and about in the city who would normally be shopping on their lunch break, excuse me, or dining out after work. Do you think we'll see an uneven recovery depending on the type of business and where they're located? Oh, I, th- I, th- I think there will be, Paul. I think there, there are certainly some challenges ahead for the CBD, but I think Melbourne CBD is in good hands with Sally Cap as a very strong, strong advocate and yes, the work that the City of Melbourne's done sort of more broadly. Um, that There's just been an announcement uh, that Melbourne City Revitalisation Fund is including bringing back midweek Melbourne money to encourage um, work like focus between Monday to Thursday in the city to sort of give patrons back some, reimburse them some money in 
in terms of what they spend in yes. the cafes and restaurants. And I think that sort of stuff will, will, will definitely drive traffic. There's a really exciting program of events leading up to Christmas or the end of year celebrations and summer in the city of Melbourne. Um, I think one of the one of the challenges coming out of this is obviously the reframing of some of the workforce arrangements where you know the ABS data is telling us that at least a third of employees want to continue working from home in, in right. some way yeah. as well. So how do we balance that with supporting local businesses close to people's homes, but also bringing back that energy and that excitement that is inherent to the CBD here in Melbourne. And yes. we're not alone in those challenges. I was speaking with our counterparts in Queensland just last week about what's happening in Brisbane. And obviously Queensland's not had the same lockdowns as we've had here in Victoria, but their CBD was still predominantly busy three days a week, being Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, um, because some of those lifestyle changes about remote working and things like that yes. potentially sort of carrying carrying through um and i you know i was talking with the pharmacy guild the other day about the challenge you know with pharmacies and the great community service that they provide but if a pharmacist only has a handful of customers in the course of the week um you know it's just not sustainable as a business so hopefully with summer coming with christmas coming yes lots of exciting events and initiatives here in melbourne we will see people come coming back into the city to enjoy some of the stuff we really loved. And, you know, there's nothing that Melbourne does better than Christmas in terms of right. this time of year, the wonderful windows in the shops, the experiences, all the lights and all that sort of stuff. So I think the timing is positive for us for this particular point of the year. It's the best time of the weather to be out in Melbourne. Um, although I will say um, Melbournians have done a great job about embracing outdoor eating, even in their puffer jackets as well so that's that's been positive i think hopefully that will keep keep on with as well Absolutely. Now, there were figures released um, by the ABS showing the number of small businesses that actually increased since the start of the pandemic. In fact, a jump of 15.2% over the last financial year, including a 6.3% increase in the number of retail businesses. So it must be pleasing to see the continued confidence that people have in getting started on the small business journey. Oh, it, it absolutely is. And I'm really, really, it's a really important thing that we want. We don't want to put off the future generations of small business operators of sort of looking at the hard times now. And I think it goes to what we were talking about before about the entrepreneurial spirit. spirit. Yes. If, if you're a small business operator, you're not the kind of person who runs away from hard times or a challenge because you don't you don't start a small business because you want to necessarily have an easy run or an easy yeah. life. Yeah. Um, you're passionate about something or you've got a wonderful offer that you want to take to consumers and you're willing to have a punt and have a go. Yes. So I think I think that natural entrepreneurial spirit will, is still there. Um, and I, you know, I've spoken to a lot of businesses that have opened up during the pandemic and sort of said, well, you know, that's it's incredible. And you know, their attitudes were, well, if not now, when? Or you know, I realised I was doing a job I didn't want to do, and I had yes. something that I, you know, life change, bit of that reflection moment that's come out of the pandemic, or maybe I lost my job and I thought, well, what, what now's a perfect time to to give it a go and some of the upsides in the market has been sometimes where unfortunately businesses failed and you know there's a there's an open tenancy for example other businesses are jumping in and saying okay well I'll I'll give it a go and I know some landlords have been doing some pop-ups as well sort yes. of letting short short-term tenants come in so they can kind of 
put their oar in the water, so to speak, about a location and see how they go. So I think I think the Australian um, entrepreneurial spirit that sort of has fueled the country uh, will see us well through and hopefully what we'll see is businesses come through the side of this with more resilience, greater creativity and just seeing innovation as something that's fantastic and, and with a bunch of consumers behind them who are really can, keen to support them and have their back as well. Absolutely. You raised some good uh, good points there. Now, there has been some consumer insight reports done recently on how consumers are becoming more values-driven and want businesses to reflect the values and issues that are important to them. Things like sustainability, which you just spoke about, and climate change and diversity. Are we seeing a shift in terms of how small businesses are approaching these particular issues? Yes, I think we definitely are, Paul. I think that there, there's no business that will be untouched in this space moving forward. I think consumers just won't stand for it. So I'm seeing a lot of really positive things around small businesses trying to be able to demonstrate what niche they're offering. And, and, and that can sometimes be as an employer as well. So if you've got a small business who's desperate for talent, and as we all know at the moment, there's a big yes. war on talent and skills at the moment, which is a wonderful problem to have at the moment. We just need people to be able to get in to the jobs to keep firing things up is that if, if you're a small business that can offer flexibility and you're really inclusive in terms of who you hire and the, the value of the you see a whole broad spectrum in the value of people you're working with yeah. that can be a real seller to um, people who are wanting to make really informed decisions about both where they work and also where they spend their money as well so I think you're seeing some great innovations come out, particularly around in the sustainability space as well. There's some great tech that's coming out with solutions of informing consumers about how they can be informed about where things come from and how they purchase them as well. Yes. So I think I think small business has a ability to really be able to. I'm, I'm trying to avoid a different word, Paul, than pivot. Um, mm. The one of the overused words of the year, but um, small businesses are um, really flexible because they're smaller, which means yeah. that they can usually shift much faster. They don't yet have um, internal bureaucracies or necessarily processes and things, and sometimes that can be a burden, of course, but it also can be a bit of the, a gift as well because it lets them move and um, be really flexible pretty quickly. So mm. I think, yeah, there's, there's many examples I'm seeing of small businesses who see this as a growth, as a real growth industry and, and not in a cynical way building businesses that align to their values and finding a customer base that that connects with too. So that kind of feeds into that story aspect, yes. I think, as well. And, and I guess we are seeing too a lot of new startups that are just embracing those values, sustainability, diversity um, uh, specifically, uh, and so they're not sort of having to do major change programs, are they? Just sort of they're, they're opening with those values up front and they're attracting that's a customer. Right. That, so that's the beauty of actually small business. They can actually, there's no legacy people and systems and processes to deal with. They can no. um, uh, make those changes, as you, as you mentioned before, they can be really agile and, and move quickly. So that's really important. Now we are into to that sort of almost, I guess, the post, we call it post-pandemic recovery period. So what are the priorities for the Victorian Small Business Commission going forward? I want the commission to be so adaptable as well and innovative in the way that we deliver our services to Victorian small businesses um, so that we can really walk, continue to walk on that path with small businesses. Um, in, in terms of the commission's own space, all of our mediations predominantly used to be face-to-face. So you had to jump in the car or jump in the train, head into the city to Melbourne and head up into a big office building, um, take a fair chunk 
out of time out of your day just getting there and back yes. to have face-to-face mediations and um we totally changed our service delivery all to virtual um pretty much overnight and that's been an incredible um that's incredibly opened up how accessible we are to that's victorians fantastic. particularly in rural and remote areas as well for whom that burden is even higher and what i'd so i don't want to lose any of that innovation that we you know that was you know we were forced to do at the time just because of circumstances and you know we're no is not an option you have to continue delivering services you find ways to make it happen but the feedback we've had in that space as an example is that so many more of the participants in our mediation have found it less stressful because they're not actually in a room with a person that they're having a dispute with they're you know they're in the safety and comfort of somewhere that they're comfortable with their home or their workplace um so some of the emotions and temperatures in the room have come down a bit so um we're doing some research at the moment around how can we build on the best of that in terms of online dispute resolution and how well it's worked for small businesses but also making sure that we're still accessible for businesses and disputes which do um, benefit from face-to-face and we have a role with farmed mediation where there's effectively mortgages on farms and one of the pieces of feedback we've had is that tends to be more those mediations tend to be more effective face-to-face so we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater getting all excited about the innovative side of stuff Um, in terms of the broader priorities for the commission too it's in ensuring that businesses have a sustainable recovery. So supporting the businesses as they are managing through that debt repayment and also supporting businesses for whom it is time to call end on their business um, and that they can exit their business in a way that's respectful for them and with dignity and that's not um, too destructive for them in their life, even though that's always hard, of course. So we're going to be doing a lot of work on educating and empowering businesses, how to manage and resolve disputes themselves because ideally Paul would have a scenario where there wouldn't be no disputes that required a small business commission to to come in and resolve them. So um, I don't know that with human nature that will ever be the cause and ever be the case. You could could be putting yourself out of a job here, Commissioner, so you would. Oh, I would be be delighted. I would (laughs) consider that the greatest success if I did myself out of a role. You you would Um, too. But I think that um, it's, it's, it's sort of empowering businesses so that they can have conversations and that they can, if there is an issue, they can resolve it as quickly as possible. And in the advocacy role, my role is to stand with small businesses and really represent their voice into government so that yes. when decisions are being made or policy positions are being considered, that it is very much with the, the real-life application and what that actual experience is for small businesses at the forefront of their mind as well. Yeah. Well, look, Linda, that has been great chatting to you. Thank you for joining us in the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. It's a tough job, but congratulations on all the work you do as Victorian Small Business Commissioner and all the very best for the future. Thank you so much, Paul, and thank you to you and the team at ARA for all the great work that you're doing as well. Um, as you know, I'm shamelessly always spruiking that people should join and become members of their oh. industry associations because it's the best dollar that they can ever spend. So well done to you and the team. I, being well, such a I will take that credit for the back to the team, and I completely agree with you. I, I also always always say every dollar you put into the um, uh, into the association, of course, is, it's a member based organisation, goes back to members, and it allows us to do the work that we do so as a not-for-profit so thank you you've been an amazing um uh uh interviewee on the, the podcast today we really look forward to chatting with you once again soon thanks so much paul Martin Butler runs Art on King, a family business which has been operating for 42 years in the same location in Newtown. 
Martin and his sister Joni took over the business from their parents John and Pia in 2009. The store, which started as a second-hand bookstore, now offers an ever-changing, eclectic range of books and art and craft supplies, showcasing the products of many local entrepreneurs alongside essential office and stationery supplies. Now, Martin, you experienced significant growth during the first COVID-19 lockdown, with people panic buying, jigsaw puzzles and art supplies. You then saw a quiet period during the second lockdown as pandemic fatigue set in. What strategies have you been using, including through your partnership with American Express, to bring customers back into the store in 2022? Well, yeah, that was a crazy time. I've got to say it was a tale of two lockdowns for us. Um, The first lockdown, we we did, you know, enjoy incredible growth and uh, a very busy time, as you alluded to. Um, I've got to say that in all my years in retail, it's about the only time I didn't enjoy making money. It was a uh, a bit of a scary time. Watching people panic buy isn't fun. Um, it, there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, especially when you're, you're not sure, you know, uh, are your doors going to be open next week? Um, so when you see everyone buying um, stuff in a panic kind of way and, you know, shelves running out and your suppliers telling you you don't have anything um, left pending and you can't order and replenish, you, you do get quite worried. So, so for us, it was really important. In that first lockdown, especially to to um, sort of just recoup, um, sit on some money. There's a lot of uncertainty. Just take it easy and see what's going to happen. And it proved to be uh, pretty good for us because the second lockdown was terrible. Uh, we had a we had a thirty forty percent um, decrease in uh, in revenue. Uh, footfall dropped dramatically. Uh, it was probably the saddest time I've ever seen King Street Newtown. Um, hardly any stores open. Mm. Very few people walking the streets. Um, so, so when that when that finished and we got past that, it was really good to uh, welcome customers back in again and um, provide a safe shopping experience. Um, and one one of the ways Amex um, and they've done done this in the past actually that helped was um, to uh, reignite the shop small campaign. Um, it's sort of a good opportunity for people to reconnect with local business and um, just enjoy a little reward too for spending in their favourite stores anyway. Now, you've been an American Express shop small merchant for some time and in, back in 2021, this saw the store receiving a festive window display makeover from Vivid Sydney's newly appointed festival director, Jill Menovini. Now, can you tell us more about the experience and the impact it had on Art on King as well as your local high street in Newtown? Yeah, look, it was a, it, I remember at the time it, it was, um, we, my sister and I had to, had about it initially because, um, you're so fixated as a retailer in, um, providing your window space as a, um, as a, as a sort of purchasing window, if you like, uh, and stocking it with all the latest products and maybe featuring promotions. Um, and it's all about selling because that time of year for a retailer is. So when you devote your whole window, which you've been spent every Christmas trading to selling stuff, and you're using it um, to display uh, a beautiful, festive work of art, really, um, it, it is a little bit something to think about. You think, am I doing the right thing? Should we be doing this? We're not, this object is not really selling anything. This is uh, like an icon. This is something we're trying to say. Um, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to do it. It was such a beautiful piece that Gil and her team um, put together. Uh, and it was a wonderful sort of bright spark um, during a time of uncertainty and frustration and I think it was a reflective piece I know we've got a lot of positive feedback um, from our customers uh, and it was it was such a there was such great attention to detail the 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 display piece it featured a lot of nods to the community featured some you know festive animals and um, 
Newtown buses and cyclists and uh it was it was really the attention to detail that I that I loved the most about the display piece that Bill uh, created, um, and and one example of that, Paul, is that there's a model of uh, the shop front of our store uh, as part of the display piece, and um, in, through the windows of this uh, small miniature of the shop front, you can see a backdrop of marbled paper, some beautiful marbled paper, and it's actually the same marbled paper that my mum makes herself and uses to create her handmade books and photo albums. Uh, we even sell her marble paper in the store. People can buy it. So that was a that was a, just a beautiful touch that they did, um, putting a little piece of that in there. And it, it, it might have been just my sister and I and my, my, my folks and friends that maybe noticed that. Um, but there was something for everyone in that display piece, and I think it was, um, yeah, I think it was a great experience, and I was really happy to be a part of it, um, and it was a great opportunity. Martin, thanks so much for joining us in the Amex Lounge. Sounds like an exciting time for you and Art on King. All the best for your future success. Great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for joining us in the Amex Lounge for some retail therapy. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. We can be found wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. For more information about the work we do at the Australian Retailers Association, head to our website, retail.org.au. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, wherever you love to connect. All the links can be found in the show notes. I can't wait to talk retail therapy with Australia's retail leaders and share these conversations with you, the future leaders, business owners and innovators of the industry.